Hey there, podcast listener. Chris Roseborough here right at the front of the podcast. Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. If you don't already support us financially, we truly can use your help. So get on your computer. Go on over to fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons and support us. And, of course, if you would like to do it the traditional way, make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your financial support because we truly can't do what we're doing here without it. All right, on to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, March 22nd, 2011. Where did I put my coffee? Sorry, I misplaced my coffee. I'm not drinking Earl Grey today. I'm having some decaf. How do those uh, commercials go? Caffeine makes me jittery. <laughs> We've replaced Chris's normal coffee with Folger's decaffeinated crystals. And no, I'm not getting paid to say that. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseboro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. And uh, we take those things to task on a regular basis and open up the Bible and just do some comparative work. Sometimes it's um, opening the Bible just to any old page will do because it seems like some preachers are, and uh, so-called Bible teachers are often such a bizarre space that... Uh, well, they don't. It, well, yesterday's, you know, the dominion over the animal kingdom thing that we heard from Cindy Trim. Yeah, that was pretty much crazy. Yeah, where do you, I mean, where do you even go to uh, to tackle that? Anyway, uh, I'm sitting here, you know, just reeling from yesterday's five pretzel program, and I, I still have some cleanup work I've got to do on on that. In fact, one of the things we're going to be doing today. In fact, why not? I just I, I don't even know if I want to do a montage. Not a montage, a uh, a monologue. That's I have a montage that I'm going to play for you. I want to do that, but I don't know if I want to do the monologue today. How often do I throw out my monologue? Yeah, I, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> just <sighs> brain in three different places today. Okay, so, so uh, let's take a look here uh, today. What we're gonna one of the things we're gonna do is I want to uh, uh, read a, a couple of emails to you. Um. From uh, never before, uh, you know, from people I've never read emails from, and uh, the actually pretty good emails. And uh, so I want to read some email today. We're going to be playing a montage. Now, yesterday uh, during the uh, Rick Warren sermon review, um, boy, that was a bad sermon. The one God wants to speak to you, or how to hear, how to listen to, uh, whatever. You, 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 God wants to talk with you was the name of the sermon. Anyway, that was that was part one of a two-part mini-sermon ser series that Rick Warren gave at Saddleback, and um, I'm not going to play for you all of number two. In fact, uh, you kind of get the gist of it, it, how he came to the conclusion that God wants to talk to you is because he completely mangled, twisted, and um, committed all kinds of 
hermeneutical formal caboodulating in order to uh, come up with the uh, interpretation that he did. In fact, he reinterpreted Jesus' reinterpretation of the parable of the sower and the seeds in order to come up with the things that he said in yesterday's uh, sermon review. If you haven't heard that, you really ought to. It's um, And pass it along to people to warn them about how bad Rick Warren mangles God's word. But today, uh, what we're going to do is I'm going to play a montage of uh, Rick Warren giving the giving the seven things uh, the 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 uh, filter the seven the seven point filter that's going to help you identify whether or not you're hearing from God Satan or a bad burrito that you had the other night and those are his terms that's his word not mine and um, and what we're going to do then is we're going to compare Rick Warren to Bill Hybels. Uh, yeah, you'll see what I'm saying. But my contention is is that this doctrine, this teaching that Rick Warren gave, isn't a biblical doctrine. If it were, we could go to the biblical patches, passages that clearly teach this doctrine. I- instead, this is something he backwards engineered as a result of a, a bad starting point theologically. And, uh, and he's not the only one who's come up with a similar system. Bill Hybels has. If you remember, it was a few months back. Uh, I reviewed a one-hour-long lecture, uh, internet web video that uh, Bill Hybels gave on his book entitled Whispers. And uh, Bill Hybels lays out uh, his grid for determining whether or not you're hearing from God. And so I thought it would be helpful for you know to kind of make the point to, uh, first of all, play Rick Warren's seven-point grid, then play Bill Hybels' grid, and then montage them together to see if they gel, if there's, there's any cohesion and, um, yeah, you'll see what I'm saying. And you know, my conclusion, this ain't a biblical doctrine, and it'll become readily apparent once we uh, get into the um, into the uh, montage there today. So that's coming up. So we got email. We got the Rick Warren montage. I got audio I want to play from you for you from Ian Lawton. Uh, he uh, recently did a teleconference interview uh, over at the um, Evolutionary Christianity <clears throat> Yeah, that uh, that bastion of liberalism, um, it, the evolutionary Christianity uh, website, and I want you to hear what he says. Uh, you know, he wants people to put their trust in. We'll we'll hear a little bit of his story. If you're not familiar with who Ian Lawton is, Ian Lawton is the um, uh, the pastor the, over at C3 Exchange in Grand Rapids, Michigan. They they used to be a Christian church, but. Well, they took their cross down, and so we're going to hear Ian Lawton explain why he took that cross down in his, you know, in this interview, and then t- he's going to tell you what he wants people to put their trust in, which is pretty much, you know, you know, uh, liberalism has absolutely zero confidence in the Word of God, so you have to have your authority somewhere else. So we'll listen to that today, um, time permitting. Uh, there's a. a a new uh, blog post by Tim Challies uh, called New Evangelical Virtues that I think is worth passing along to you today. We'll take a look at that. I even have some news regarding uh, the Texas uh, state legislature is uh, wanting to pass a law that would protect college professors who question evolution. Yeah, <laughs> yeah non-discrimination now. Uh, non-discrimination bills passed along in order to protect people who defect from evolution which I think will be rather interesting. And then our sermon today, we're going back down to New Zealand to um, Life Church out there in Auckland, New Zealand, um, Paul DeJong, and um, he recently preached a sermon entitled Dream Carriers. 
Yeah, if you if you've tested positive for uh, for dreams, you may be a dream carrier, and you might want to go and uh, uh, and see if you can find the anecdote for that, or uh, you know something to uh, to counteract. Yeah, I mean, if you test positive for dream carrying, then that may that actually may be de- detrimental to uh, the body of Christ. But that'll be our sermon review today. So we've got lots and lots of ground to cover. Make yourself comfortable. Adult beverages don't have a problem with that. Keep in mind the biblical prohibition is against drunkenness. That's that's a biblical prohibition. Um, so uh, don't don't abuse this wonderful gift that God has given us. If you, cool weather is in your neck of the woods, fuzzy bunny slippers do enhance your listener experience. So uh, with that, let's dive into the program proper. Dun, 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 dun. My first email comes to us from Germany. Now, I don't know what town uh, in Germany, but it's just Germany. Uh, and uh, it's from Dr. Connert. That, yeah, he's a, he's a doctor. Mm. And I'm sure when uh, Dr. Connert sat down to type this email, he did it at this particular pace. You can tell it's in the cadence right there in the email itself. All right, uh, Dr. Connert writes, uh, Chris, um, I, I feel encouraged to ask you something regarding your interview with Frank Turk. Now, now I want to point something out here. It's been a while since I've interviewed Frank Turk on Fighting for the Faith, and uh, and I recently got this e- email from Dr. Connert, and um, so you can email me regarding any topic, regardless of when you listen to an episode of Fighting for the Faith. Our archives are there for you to listen to, and if you have a question that perks up and you're thinking, man, that episode aired three years ago. No problemo. Fire off the email. And uh, if, you know, of course, I'm the one who does, who determines whether or not your email is worthy enough to uh, come to the air. And <laughs> yeah, we work off of a pure merit uh, works-based system here when it comes to email. <sighs> anyway, Dr. <laughs> Man, I'm I'm sidetracking myself. Just the thoughts. I you know it's kind of sad when you when you are your own best entertainment. Anyway, uh, he says in your, in this interview, Frank Turk said that if I summarize this, one should stay in a church even if the pastor preached in a reprehensible way and pray for him. As an example, he referred to Paul's letter to the Galatians, in which Paul doesn't require the truthful Galatians, of whom there must have been at least some, to leave this church. Although I agree with this, I have reread the letter to the Galatians, and I also agree that we should preach. Uh, we should preach for such pastors. I got confused because when you review a bad sermon in your broadcast, you usually say that the people should leave such a church. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of the email, but this kind of gets to the nub of it. One of the things I want you all to uh, keep in mind is that when I interview somebody on Fighting for the Faith, I understand that most of the time I'm the guy who's doing all the talking. And and but when I do an interview, I'm interviewing a person to get their views, not necessarily mine, although I try to interact with them. Now, I didn't correct Frank Turk at that time and I've received a couple of emails going, well, do you believe that's right? Let me answer this question this way. If your pastor is a solid pastor, and what I mean by that is is that this is a pastor who preaches the word, who may or may not be um, just the best pe- preacher, but is faithful, believes the faith, confesses the faith, and teaches the faith, even if his sermons are less than desirable— you might want to pray for him and stick it out and and come alongside of him and help him to uh mature into a uh, a more effective or uh 
uh, pastor uh, in in helping him to uh, to let's let's say succeed at preaching. If, however, you have a pastor who is chucking the uh, the Christian faith in order to f- chase after the latest fads and uh, is is mangling God's word and shows no ability whatsoever to be able to properly handle God's word, and worse, has no desire to be corrected. In fact, correcting him could get you thrown out. Yeah, it's it, you don't want to hang around a church like that. So uh, the answer to the question is it depends upon what the problem is. Um, and you know, I've been in, I have been in churches where the past the pastor wasn't that great of a preacher, but he was a solid guy. And I thank God for those guys because the reality is is that um, you know it's very difficult to find a pastor who is a wordsmith who really understands you know who who really takes the theological craft and the sermon writing craft to you know to high heights. Okay. Uh, you'll notice that uh, even though I'm Missouri, I'm a Missouri Synod Lutheran. I'm selective about which Missouri Missouri Synod Lutheran pastors I pray I play, pray play sermons on uh, here at Fighting for the Faith. Why? Because there's a lot of solid guys out there. Not all of them uh, preach at the level that I think is showcases what I consider to be good preaching. So, the, so the answer to your uh, to your question, Doctor Connert, is uh, the idea is is that it depends upon the diagnosis. Okay, using medical terminology here, it just depends upon the diagnosis. If if the problem isn't terminal, if the problem is something that's fixable or livable, and you've got you've got a true brother in Christ who's who's doing his darndest best to faithfully handle God's text and uh, and to really preach Christ and Him crucified, and he's just not quite pulling it off, pray for him, work with him. If it's a pastor who is uh, who is jettisoning sound doctrine and chasing after the latest windish fad, um, and will not be corrected or reined in, and and uh, and refuses to do what he's been ta- uh, instructed to do in Scripture, namely preach the word, um, yeah, in a situation like that, you probably don't want to stick around. You might want to try to fight and see if you can get the guy to repent and turn it around. But uh, usually, when guys go that way. Um, they uh, they restructure the or, the church organization in such a way that if you don't uh, abide by the vision they claim that they're getting from God, you're gonna pretty much be gone anyway. So uh, that's my answer to the question. I have another email here from another doctor of all. Uh, this is from Doctor Steve. Uh, doctor Steve, and uh, he says you can call me Steve. Um, and uh, call me Dr. Steve. Okay, all right, so I don't know where he's from. He did not let me know where his town is. So Dr. Steve from somewhere in the world, (laughs) from somewhere on planet Earth, he says, hi there. (laughs) Hey, that's my line. Anyways, it says, so many topics, so little time. As a physician, I will comment on the Venter issue. Now, if you remember, a few days ago, we played audio from uh, Craig Venter, from the Human Genome Project, that guy, and he's 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 now doing custom DNA work. You know, they have body shops where you can make custom cars. I think he's doing custom DNA work now. Anyway, he says, as a physician, I will comment on the Venter issue. It makes sense that Venter would disavow common descent more than the common evolutionary apologist like Dawkins at all. Venter knows the DNA up close and personal. And more than that, he has to know that there is a great chasm of meaning between the casually applied word identical, as Dawkins intoned, and the really applicable word, which is similar. 
Oxford defines the words this way. From the Oxford English Dictionary, identical. Number one, it's an adjective similar in every detail, exactly alike. Four girls in identical green outfits. The passage on the second floor was identical to the one below. So the idea there here is, is that it's something that is ident- you know, that is, you know, exactly alike in every detail. Then we've got the word similar, which is also an adjective, resembling without being identical. A soft cheese similar to brie, uh, northern India and similar areas. So that's the idea here. Okay, so Venter knows that all DNA and biological systems are similar insofar as they use the same nucleotide base pairs and there is a limited set of amino acids that uh, that comprise the machinery of life. But to be identical would mean that they were interchangeable, which is clearly not the case. It may be possible to take and drop a chunk of DNA from one member of a species to another without much difficulty, considering the amount, type, and location of the genetic information is similar, if not precisely identical. But between species, and especially across families or even kingdoms, the problems are legion. As Venter points out, the cellular, uh, the cellular signaling and controls are vastly different between a microbe that lives in pH 12, and narrowly at that, and us, which requires pH 7.4 plus or minus 0.01. This is a highly technical email. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had such a technical email. He said, he continues, says, many of the proteins we use moment by moment would be denatured in that hostile microbes environment. But further, the idea of common descent requires incremental uh, change in situ, in situ. But even a casual examination of uh, DNA shows the really insurmountable uh, problems of genes that code for similar, no, let's say identical gene products that are found on various organisms but found on completely different chromosomes. For instance, pigs, cows, and people all use insulin but are found in wildly different locations. That would be like placing otherwise contiguous paragraphs of an essay in completely different volumes. And these code sets must be intact with all the requisite support code that makes it work. And how about the the weirdness of DNA such that some creatures have paired chromosomes, but others have multiple chromosomes, even odd and variable chromosomes. Venter has the courage to identify this basic fact. He has to deal with the gene, address, and all. Dawkins is happy to live with with a DNA black box, blissfully willing to ignore the messiness inside. It is curious that this should become an issue at this tumultuous time. Perhaps the world is getting ready for another paradigm shift. That evolution will be abandoned for some other motif, either panspermia or other attractive alternatives are space brothers transdimensional aliens or some other uh, beneficent agency maybe even god little g one made in our image or one like asimov has postulated in his various writings just be assured that they will not approve the notion that the lord god yahweh has made all of this that would be too much for their delicate panspermic nervous systems to handle <laughs> Dr. Steve, great email, and thank you for helping to uh, helping us to better decipher 
what it was that we were listening to that well, I, I, I call it a scientific Molotov cocktail that he threw right out into the middle of the floor of that panel discussion. So, all right, moving along. It's now time to introduce my Rick Warren update music. I don't know how I know, but I'm gonna find my purpose. I don't know where I'm gonna look, but I'm gonna find my purpose. Gotta find out, don't wanna wait. Got to make sure that my life will be great. Gotta find my purpose before it's too late. All right. Oh, man. My son recommended that song as my uh, Rick Warren intro uh, update type music if we do a Rick Warren segment. And uh, I thought that was, um, well, it's just right on the money. Anyway, uh, yesterday on the program, we uh, played Rick uh, Rick Warren's sermon called God Wants to Talk With You. It was uh, part one of a two-part mini-sermon series that he preached about how to hear God's voice. Now, uh, the second sermon, uh, like I said, we're not going to review the entire thing. In fact, all I'm going to do is lay out for you what Rick Warren said as far as how do you know you're actually hearing from God rather than hearing from the devil or actually hearing from a bad burrito? Uh, These are are important questions theologically to answer, considering the fact that... um, his arrival at the theology that he uh, preached in the sermon yesterday, um, you can't actually get there when you properly handle the biblical text. And the reason I'm doing this segment, and I'm going to compare what Rick Warren said to what Bill Hybels has taught, is because I'm making the contention that this is not biblical theology. This is something completely foreign and made up. In fact, um, well, when you when you listen to them side by side, you realize... There's all kinds of problems. But uh, let me let me play for you just a few snippets. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, uh, play Rick Warren introing this grid, this seven-point grid for how you can determine whether or not you're actually hearing from God. So uh, let's begin with uh, Rick Warren. Here we We're go. We're going to look at seven ways to test an impression. Now, these seven tests form a filter. And if you get an idea from God... Or you get an idea in your mind, you're going, now, did I just think that up? Or is that from the devil? Or is that some old tape that my great-grandmother said or something? Or is that really from the Holy Spirit? You test it by these seven tests. And if it passes all seven, then you can know for certain it's from God. Now, you can't pick and choose. You can't say, well, that passed test one, three, five, and seven, but it didn't pass two, four, and six. No, no, it's got to pass all seven. Okay, so not Rick Warren is not. Not only has he discovered seven things, a seven test grid for testing whether or not you're actually hearing from God. It's not. If you can't even if you just get six out of the seven, then you're not hearing from God. According to him, he's dogmatically stating you need to get all seven of these right, otherwise you're not hearing from God. But if an idea that you have passes all seven tests, then you can know absolutely certain absolutely certain so if, if it passes all seven 
you can dogmatically say with 100% certainty you're hearing from God. And God wants you to know this, that you have heard from God. The first. Okay, now here we go. The, we're going to go through the seven. Here we go. I'll just play these, uh, you know, him from different segments of the sermon laying out what the seven things are. Here we go. Test. There's seven questions. The first question is, does it agree with the Bible? The second test is just as important. All seven of these are important. The second test is, when I get an idea, I ask, does this make me more like Christ? The third way you test an impression is you ask, does my church family confirm it? Okay, now you'll notice that that wasn't Rick Warren. Rick Warren sometimes does tag team sermon preaching. This was one of the other pastors at Saddleback. Uh, I think Tom is his name. Uh, You'll hear his voice one more time, so we're up to three. And the fourth test is this. Is it consistent with how God shaped me? Number five. The fifth test. Does it concern my responsibility? Is it convicting rather than condemning? That's the sixth test. And then you come to the seventh test. And that test is, do I feel, do I sense God's peace about it? Okay, so you got seven ways of knowing, and, and all of these have to you. You've got to you've got to positively answer these correct. All seven of these, and once you seven ways to test an impression to see if it's actually God's voice. Uh, does it agree with the Bible? Does it make uh, me more like Christ? Does my church family confirm it? Is it consistent uh, with how God shaped me? Uh, does it concern my responsibility? Is it convicting rather than condemning? And do I feel a sense of God's peace? Those are the seven. Okay, those are Rick. So if you, if that, according to Rick Warren, it's got to be all seven of these. Otherwise, you're not hearing from God. And if it is all seven, then you're for sure hearing from God. So now the question comes up: um, What passage can I go to where these seven tests are clearly laid out? That say, if you are if you are hearing from God, then these are the seven tests. Well, answer: There is no text that says such a thing, and that's the problem. Because, well, another major seeker-driven pastor, uh, Bill Hybels, he's got a book out on this exact topic, and he's discussed it. The name of the book is Whispers, and we actually reviewed this lecture. Let's compare what Rick Warren said to, well, what Bill Hybels says and see if they're seeing the same thing in the Scriptures. Here we go. Here's Bill Hybels. Uh, You talked about filters earlier. Yeah. Um, unpack that a little bit more. G- give us some more. It's a very important part. I, I go to great lengths in the in the book on this, and for pastors who are thinking about this kind of material, uh, and again, I would urge every single pastor to to teach their congregation mm-hmm. about how God still speaks. I think you owe it to your congregation, yeah. you know, to do this. But if you're going to do it, you have to teach. How, you have to teach your congregation to know. When a whisper is from God and when it likely mm-hmm. isn't, mm-hmm. and how to know the difference, and so, so I talk about five filters. How, how many? Hmm. Now we got a problem. Bill Hybels, his book only has five filters. Rick Warren's has seven. Hmm. What do we make of that? Well, let's hear what the five filters are. First filter is to ask the question as soon as an impression comes into your mind. Soon as it gets here, to say, "Hey, do I really believe this is from God?" Okay. 
Is this from God or isn't it? Is it aligned with his attributes? Is it consistent with his character? The second one is, does it square with scripture? The third filter isn't quite as dramatic, but it's a good one for people to to think through. Uh, is it wise? Mm. Jesus said, be wise as serpents, gentle as doves. The fourth filter, is it, is it consistent with your wiring, with your spiritual giftedness, uh, w- with your experience base? But the fifth one is, do trusted people in and around your life, people who know you, love God and love you, right. would they green light this whisper that you mm-hmm. have? Would they red light it? Would they yellow light it? How would others affirm or maybe not affirm this if you ran it by them? Yeah. Hmm. There's some similarities in the different lists. But again, Rick Warren dogmatically said it takes all seven, and while Bill Hybels only gave us five, maybe we should do a little comparative work. Let's just listen to them, you know, side by side. Uh, You know, here, here. You have to teach your congregation to know when a whisper is from God and when it likely mm-hmm. isn't mm-hmm. and how to know the difference itself. So I talk about five filters. Five filters from Hybels. You test it by these seven tests. Seven by Rick Warren. Five filters. Set a five by Hybels. And if it passes all seven. Five filters. But Hybels says five. Then you can know for certain it's from God. Hmm. Why is there a? Why are they in disagreement? Hmm. Let's uh, listen a little bit. Closer. The first question is: Does it agree with the Bible? Okay. So question number one, according to Warren, is does it agree with the Bible? First filter is to ask the question as soon as an impression comes into your mind, as soon as it gets there, to say, "Hey, do I really believe this is from God?" Okay, um, okay, two completely, you know, all right. Uh, how about number two? The second test is just as important. All seven of these are important. The second test is when I get an idea, I ask, does this make me more like Christ? Uh-huh. The second one is does it square with Scripture? Okay. I mean, there's some similarities in their list, but the lists are not the same at all. In fact, Hybels has things that Warren has, and Warren had, clearly has things that Hybels doesn't have. I mean, how do we reconcile this? The third way you test an impression is you ask, does my church family confirm it? The third filter isn't quite as dramatic, but it's a good one for people to to think through. Uh, is it wise? Mm. Yeah, is it wise? Okay. Mm. Jesus said, be wise as serpents. Gentle as doves. He sure did, and I'm sure he wasn't talking about at that point what it takes to hear from God. Um, okay. Um, hmm. I'm getting two completely different ideas as how to t- confirm whether or not some impression that's been beamed into my brain is from God. And both of the and both of the men speaking are the leading men in the seeker-driven movement. Hmm. You know, this next one, by the way, both of these are practically identical. Listen, there is some overlap right here on number four. Watch. And the fourth test is this. Is it consistent with how God shaped me? The fourth filter, is it, is it consistent with your wiring, with your spiritual giftedness, uh, with your experience base? Okay, so I think the two, number four there, there's clear overlap on, on, the, on the fourth test. 
How about number five? Number five. The fifth test. Does it concern my responsibility? But the fifth one is do trusted people in and around your life, people who know you, love God and love you, would they green light this whisper that you Mm -hmm. have? Would they red light it? Would they yellow light it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that's the five from uh, Hybels. Here's number six for Warren again. Is it convicting rather than condemning? Yeah. Hybels totally missed that one. That's the sixth text. Uh Uh-huh. So I talk about five filters. Yeah, I, yeah, that's right. Five. Only five from Bill Hybels. Uh, what's the seventh? And then you come to the seventh test. And that test is, do I feel, do I sense God's peace about it? Yeah, Hybels completely missed that one, too. I mean, so what do we do with this? I mean, um, I'm, these guys don't even agree with each other on what the tests are. Should we go with Rick Warren, who's come up with a more stringent test because he's found he's claims to have discovered seven things, and whereas Heibel's only found five? Or should we basically say, wait a second, maybe the reason why these guys sound similar but so different is because this whole idea is the product of human thinking, human logic, human imagination rather than what's been clearly revealed in God's Word. And again, if God really wanted us to have a grid that we would apply so that we can properly understand and know with certainty that we're hearing from Him, don't you think He would have actually given that to us very clearly and unambiguously in His own Word? Because when I read the Bible, the one thing that is very clear is is that God has revealed that He wants me to hear from Him. And that the place that God expects me to hear from him is in the written word of God in the Bible. The reason why Bill Hybels and uh, Rick Warren sound similar but different is because neither one of them is teaching what the Bible teaches. And I think by putting them side by side like that, it makes it perfectly clear this is not biblical teaching. This is nothing more than the traditions and machinations of man, not the doctrines of God. All right, we're up on our first break. If you would like to email me regarding anything that you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Church. 
So the new pastor came in and shut down the Sunday school, uh, canceled the adult Bible study, no. dumped the hymnals, oh, sacked the choir, and put damn. in a praise band and started preaching sermons that sound like they could be preached or done on Dr. Phil's program. It's awful. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. Our chief weapon is purpose. Purpose and vision. Vision and purpose are two weapons. Our purpose and vision and ruthless relevance are three weapons. Our purpose, vision, and ruthless relevance in an almost fanatical devotion to record are four weapons. Now, amongst our weapon are such elements as purpose, vision. I'll I'll come in again. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects a purpose-driven inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as purpose, vision, ruthless relevance, and almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren and nice Hawaiian jerks. Oh, damn. I can't say it. You'll have to say it. Uh, what? You'll have to say what the bit about our cheap weapons are. Uh, I, I couldn't do that. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody uh, expects. Uh, expects no. Nobody expects the um, purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, I, I know. I know. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. In fact, those who our do chief ex- weapons are our chief weapons are um, purpose, uh, uh, vision. Okay. And- okay. Stop. Stop that. Stop that. Our chief weapons are purpose. Blah 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 blah. Youth pastor Rick. Read the charges. Dude, you're like hereby charged with being divisive and not following our program. That's enough! Now, how do you plead? Well, we're, we're innocent. innocent. Ha! 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 We'll soon change your mind about that! Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Warning, people telling you that biblical Bible teaches something should be able to show it to you clearly taught in the Bible. Yeah, in other words, if there's seven things that you've got to know that hear from God, 
then those seven things will be clearly taught. You know, you don't understand what I'm saying. Anyway, I need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. And you can partner with us financially. This is a partnership. And the way you do that is by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you will see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith on a monthly basis. That happens automatically. Or you can uh, make a one-time contribution by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Here we go. From the uh, Christian Post... Headline reads, Texas bill would protect college professors who question evolution. Mm-hmm. Apparently there must be a need for this. A new Texas bill would make it illegal for colleges to fire or refuse jobs to professors based on their research on intelligent design or other theories on the origin of life that question evolution. Uh, by the way, this was written by Catherine T. Fon of the Christian Post. The measure from Republican State Representative Bill Zedler would prohibit public institutions of higher education from discriminating against or penalizing faculty members for students or students in regard to employment or academic support based upon their conduct of research relating to the theory of intelligent design or other alternate theories of, orig- of origination and development of organisms. The bill, House Bill 2454, Uh, was received by the Higher Education Committee earlier this week. Researchers who study intelligent design deserve the same academic freedom as those who support evolution, said spokesman for the Discovery Institute, an intelligent design think tank based in Seattle, Washington. Quote, "Without without academic freedom... Uh, to follow the evidence where it leads, science cannot progress. Casey Luskin, program officer in public policy and legal affairs at Discovery Institute, told the Christian Post. Luskin said there is widespread pattern of discrimination against intelligent design proponents, pointing to several cases in Texas. In 2007, Baylor University shut down an evolutionary informatics lab by Professor Marks after administrators learned that he was doing pro ID research. The lab was forced to move from the university server to a third-party server. The incident was documented in Ben Stein's Expelled, No Intelligence Allowed. Um, Another incident at Baylor a few years ago involved the Michael Pollyanni Center, considered to be the first intelligent design think tank at a major research university headed by leading ID theorist William Dembski, a senior fellow of Discovery Institute's Center for Science and Culture. The center was also shut down due to intolerance of the pro-intelligence design viewpoint. The cases of discrimination aren't just limited to college teachers. According to Luskin, students could be counted as committing academic suicide for not subscribing to a neo-Darwinian evolution viewpoint. Michael Dini, a biology professor at Texas University, Texas Tech University, states on his website that he does not write letters of recommendation for students applying for medical or graduate school if they do not accept neo-Darwinian evolution. 
Hmm. Denny explains the reasons for his criteria. Uh, quote, the central unifying principle of biology is the theory of evolution, which includes both micro and macro evolution, which extends to all species. End quote. Someone who ignores the most important theory in biology cannot expect to properly practice in a field that is now so heavily based on biology, he writes. The professor adds that the criteria for a letter of recommendation are not meant to discriminate against anyone's personal beliefs, but are to help ensure that a student who wishes my recommendation uses scientific thinking to answer scientific questions. Luskin disagreed with Dini's policy. Quote, his policy is patently discriminatory because he refuses to treat students on an equal basis if they scientifically disagree with Darwinian macroevolution, stated Luskin. The intelligent design proponent said scientists fight antibiotic resistance by observing that there are limits to Darwinian evolution. Quote, we use drug cocktails to combat antibiotic or antiviral drug resistance because there are limits to the amount of evolution that can take place in a bacteria or virus, he said. One can be a good physician and disagree with Darwinian macroevolution. HB 2454 requires a two-thirds vote to pass in the House. Well, something to think about. We'll keep our eyes on that and see if it uh, if it passes, but I think it's rather interesting that uh, somebody there in the Texas State House has decided to, you know, put out some anti-discrimination, anti-discrimination uh, language, uh, a bill, you know, some laws, if you would, that would protect people so that they can uh, they can pursue origins wherever the evidence takes us. You know, Craig Venter. I mean, I mean, he doesn't believe in common descent because he's so close to and knows the DNA code so up po- close and personal. I think we might want to follow where the evidence goes and not be like Dawkins. All right, moving along. This uh, next segment, uh, talking about evolutionary Christianity. This next segment uh, comes to us via the Evolutionary Christianity website. Uh, From time to time, we, we... pull up uh, different things that are posted on that website to you know take a look at uh, what it is that they're saying and um, and just you know find out what they're really all about because um, one of the uh, one of the major themes there at the evolutionary christianity website by you know, which is basically put together by Michael Dowd is to find a way to mix and meld christianity and and evolutionary theory well when you do it what do you come up with well you come up with guys who are well, like Ian Lawton from the C3 Exchange Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Here's uh, Michael Dowd interviewing Ian Lawton. See if, well, I'll chime in. You'll, you'll get where we're going with this. Here we go. Could you please share a little bit about some of the recent changes that have happened in your, your pastoral ministry there, the, the name change and the, the cross and some of the publicity that happened around that and, uh, you know, how this transition has been for your, for your members? Uh, When I arrived, the church was named Christ Community Church. It was named that in, I think, 1978. It's a church that used to be a pretty prominent Reformed church. So The guy that I replaced had been... Christ Community Church is... That's what, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, Christ Community Church used to be a reformed, quite a reformed Christian church. Named that in the 1970s. And, well, we, why did, why did Ian Lawton... Who, by the way, uh, wants to embrace evolution and Christianity at the same time? Why did he get rid of that name? And uh, had a very established ministry. He began his ministry as a kind of firebrand hell preacher, and then became more liberal in his later years. 
took the community with him to a certain extent. And when I arrived, the community was ready and said to me, well, we, we want to take the next step. What comes next? You know, we're now accepting. We're accepting of people of all sexuality. We, we're open to lots of different paths to God. We will- we're open to many different paths to God. Uh-huh. We're willing to embrace science and new discovery to tell us what comes next and, and help us to take that, you know, take that step and that journey. And that's exactly what we've done. It hasn't been easy, and there's been some hiccups along the way. There's been some mistakes. I've made some mistakes. We've all made some mistakes. But basically the seven years has, has seen us take those steps. And, and what that led to was in the last two years, we, we looked at each other and said, we're, we're more diverse than the name Christ Community Church. That, that just doesn't capture the, the spirit of who we've we're more diverse than the name Christ Community Church because you know the name Christ that's like a straitjacket. I mean, you can't say that you're embracing multiple paths to God with the name of Christ Community Church. The spirit of who we've become. We also discovered that there were people who said to us, "Look, I just couldn't go to a church with that name. It just sounds so traditional and churchy." Yeah, don't want to go to a church with the name Christ on it. Yeah, we also have a very large cross at the front of the of the building, and and we have, yeah, got to get rid of that too. We had feedback from people saying, "Look, if you just took that down, I'd actually feel a lot more comfortable to attend." <sighs> yeah, you know, just get rid of Jesus and get rid of that cross, and I'd be happy to come to church. And keep in mind, this is a feature interview from Michael Dowd on his Evolutionary Christianity website. I mean, apparently he thinks Ian Lawton is, you know, uh, well, a kindred spirit, if you would, and, and theologically. And so, yeah, we, we see, as soon as you can embrace evolution in Christianity, then you can get rid of Jesus, you can get rid of the cross, and you can open yourselves up to all new kinds of paths to spirituality and, and that thing that you might kind of sort of call God, okay? So in a, in a fairly you know, lengthy, community-wide conversation, we decided to change the name and take that cross down, and, and we did that in May, June of this year, 2010. Yeah, it got some press. I mean, you were even on uh, Fox & Friends, if I remember. Well, you know, it was the cross that was more controversial than the name, as it turned out. Huh. Uh, when, yep. the cross, when the cross yeah. came down, we had people waiting there to record it, and you know, get shots going all around the internet. And then I got the call from Fox, and once I was on Fox, I, you know, I was in Chicago. I had to drive three hours to the to the Fox interview. By the time I'd driven home, three hours home, I already had mail flooding into my my email box. A lot of very negative mail from conservative Christians who started accusing me of being, you know, the Antichrist and. All sorts of awful things. Why would they call you the Antichrist? I mean, just because, you know, you don't want Christ associated with your church and you took the cross down. (laughs) Oh, man, those narrow-minded fundamentalists, I tell you, you know. All sorts of awful things. So, yeah, it definitely caused a stir, but it's been a really positive move for our community. We've drawn closer together. Yeah, they've see, they've drawn closer together once they got rid of Jesus in the cross. Okay. We've had a lot of new people join who, who never thought they'd go to church. Yeah, because, you know, Jesus and the cross are such a stumbling block to people going to church. 
It's been really positive. That's great. Since this particular teleseries is focusing on how a variety of thought leaders, scientists, theologians, ministers find a way of integrating head and heart, faith and reason, evolution and spirituality, could you speak a little bit to how that has occurred for you and and for those of your church members who still strongly identify with the uh, with the Christian tradition primarily in other words they they haven't expanded to perhaps include anything else they are just solidly Christian how do you build that bridge for them how do you help did you notice it's kind of the expectation that you know there's going to be people who you know as they grow and mature in their spirituality they're going to embrace other religious views how do you build that bridge for them how do you help them see what science is offering and uh, this you know, deep time 13.7 billion year history of the universe in ways that nurture them or nourish them or strengthen their faith? You know, the number one thing that comes to my mind when you ask that question is that it's, it's important to me to encourage people to trust themselves. Uh, who? Oh, okay. Yeah, so yeah. That's the big spiritual move there. Trust yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I don't trust myself. I Every time I look at my life, I realize I'm the problem. Um, trust myself. Hmm. Experience. Trust your mind. Trust, trust knowledge that you've learned. You know, don't trust Christ. Don't trust God's Word. No, 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 no. Trust yourself. Trust your mind. Trust your experience. Trust... Trust everything except for God's word, and and then you'll 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 come to the new spiritual state where you can get rid of Jesus and the cross, and 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 that would be a positive thing for your community. To learn more, to always believe there's more, and um, you know the image that often comes to mind for me when I think of institutional church is is like remember that movie The Truman Show? Uh huh. This giant make believe set, basically, you know, huge walls going around a city. And for, for generations, the, the elders have convinced the people that it's not safe to go to beyond those walls. So, you know, everyone stays within the walls because they've been convinced that that's, that's what you're supposed to do. That's the only safe thing to do. In fact, if you go outside of the walls, you'll probably come to harm. And every now and again, someone will venture over the wall. And it's always, it's always reported back as being a, a dangerous, negative thing. And, you know, you get someone like Galileo, who basically pays the ultimate price for venturing over the wall. Hmm. Now, my, my experience of institutional church matches, I think, a number of people's, is that those walls are just too, they're too narrowly defined. It's one thing to have uh, you know, a, a, a tradition or certain familiar stories that, that ground you in your spiritual path, but it's another thing to build walls. And I think a lot of the harm that's been done in the world, uh, looking back through history, has been the walls that have been put up between religions. And then for individuals within their religion, there's this massive wall that they're not allowed to cross. So, so I, heard, uh, I heard a... So we've got to get rid of walls, break down the walls between religions so that the positive things can happen. Okay. ...wall that they're not allowed to cross. So, so I heard, a, I heard a, a really beautiful spiritual story once. I'll tell you the, the, the end of the story. By the way, this, you'll be surprised to hear that the spiritual story isn't found in the Bible. ...town where the, where the elders have built the, 
the giant wall and no one's allowed out and they convince everyone that it's not safe over the walls. Eventually they get so much request to find out what's on the other side of the walls that they decide to let one person out. So they, they build this contraption where they tie ropes together and they, they, they tie this one man who is allowed to venture over the wall. They let him out there for a certain amount of time and then reel him back in. And when they get him back over their side of the wall, the whole town gathers around this man, just you know, fascinated by what it is that he's going to tell them. And they say to him, tell us, what did you see on the other side of the wall? And this guy just has this brilliant beaming smile on his face and he can't even say a word. He's just entranced by the experience that he's had and he just smiles at them. No words at all. <laughs> and I think, I think what happens is when we give... How was this scientific again? I think what happens is when we give people permission to venture beyond the comfort zone, to venture beyond the, you know, the, the self-imposed limitations of many of the traditions, that it leads to a sense of wonder and gratitude in the nature of life and the beauty of the universe that, that people feared they wouldn't have if they moved away from a particular belief. In other words, you know, they've always had this sense of worship of God, the creator. Now they've seen the creation firsthand and they've had that very same sense. They've been able to separate, okay, here's, here's some language that I've always been brought up to use to describe this experience. Now I've had the experience itself. So one of, one of my main objectives in community is to give people the freedom to have a direct firsthand experience of what they may call God. <clears throat> it's to help people have a direct first-hand experience of what they may call God. No word of God necessary, but he's going to help you have an experience of God. No, no cross necessary. No Jesus. Is, no, 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 no. But he's going to help you have a first-hand experience of what people, some people call God. Hmm. God or the universe or, you know, beauty uh, whatever different language is put on it, have a direct experience of it. And, and science, science has opened up so much of that direct experience of beauty and wonder. No matter how you describe the origins of the universe, you can have a direct experience of it, and it's a beautiful thing. Okay, so no matter what you believe regarding origins, you can have an experience of the wonder thing. Makes you wonder what the wonder thing is, but... Uh... Thing. So, so for me, our community, C3, is all about moving those walls. But they're not brick walls, and we don't pretend that it's not safe on the other side. It's safe. There's nothing to be protected. It's all right to venture outside. You, you mentioned C3. Talk about your name. What is it now, and what does it mean? So, yeah, I said before, we, we used to be called Christ Community Church, and then uh, when people started to expand their thinking, we started to refer it as C3. Yeah, expand their thinking. Yeah, sounds so positive. No, when people began to stop believing in Jesus and apostatize uh, and uh, left the Christian faith, <clears throat> yeah, it, it, you know, I mean, he makes it sound like it's... And then when people began to expand their... It was such a positive move for us, away from the Bible, away from Jesus, away from that narrow cross. <laughs> Yuck! But now we've had this positive thing happen to us. We expanded our thinking. Okay. So when we came to changing a name, we thought... 
to give some continuity with the past, we'd call it C3 Exchange. We're on Exchange Street, and we're a community where many ideas are exchanged, and, and the strength of our community is the diversity and the talent of the people and the experience of the people. So C3 Exchange just felt like the, the perfect name. And there's no there's no uh, one set of uh, C words that you all have identified? You're, you've got it sort of broader than that? We, we agreed not to, and we agreed that there would be a number of different C words. In fact, some of the different some of the different aspects of our ministry have their own C words. And uh, so, you know, the, the children's program have words like creativity. You kind of get what's going on there. The C three doesn't mean anything. It could be any old C words that you add to it because they have now, you know, they've expanded their thinking and they're now set free from the cross, that C word, and Christ. That C word and Christianity, yeah, that 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 C word, yeah, they're set free from those C words. Now they can experience creativity, uh, karma. Um, that's a K word. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. All right, we're up on our second break. I'm gonna have to save the Tim Challies piece until tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow's edition of Fighting for the Faith, but uh, you won't want to miss that. We're going to take our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Because only good theology leads people to heaven, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough! Of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. 
All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time. We're a little bit long in our first hour today. I do that from time to time. Let's uh, cue up our sermon review music. The good, the bad, and uh, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon review has us traveling all the way down to the South Pacific, down to Auckland, New Zealand, to Life Church, where... Paul DeJong holds court. He's been preaching a sermon series entitled Dream Carriers down there. And we're going to be listening to his sermon entitled Dream Carriers, Dream Destroyers. Have you tested positive for having a dream? Maybe that might be a positive thing according to Paul DeJong. If so, well, the last thing you want is for a dream destroyer to come and make it so that you're no longer testing positive for uh, carrying a dream. All right, what are you listening for in this sermon? This is just one of those ones where it just sounds to me like Paul barely even tries to make this thing look biblical. I mean, at least Rick Warren, when he twists the Bible, I mean, he puts some effort into it. I mean, yeah, yesterday's sermon, I mean, let's see, Rick Warren quoted from the New Living Translation, the message paraphrase, the uh, New International Version, the Good News Bible, yeah, and the, uh, and the TEV. What's the TEV? <laughs> I don't know what the TEV... See, when Rick Warren twists the scriptures... He really tries. I mean, he puts lots and lots of effort into his Bible twisting. Paul DeJong here, I mean, this is one of those ones where I don't know if he was on autopilot. I don't know if he was just being lazy. But pretty much he's just preaching on the cliche passages that talk about, you know, God has a dream for you and knows the plans that he has for your life and And then predictably goes into the Joseph story. You know, just... Anyway. Oh, and he does a rap, too. Yeah, if you've never heard Paul DeJong rap, then... (laughs) Yeah, well, you can cross that off your bucket list after listening to this edition of Fighting for the Faith. You know, I mean, here we are at the end of the music. Let's go ahead and play it out. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, all right. So without any further ado, here is Paul DeJong, Dream Carriers, Dream Destroyers. Here we go. Times, you know, We need to keep praying for the people that have been affected by it, and it's good to be alive. You had a good service so far? If you're visiting with us, uh, I get to go down south sometimes in the morning, so we've got an early service here, go down south, come back for this great service. This is the most alive service of the day. And uh, that was a hint, by the way. And I, I personally want to thank, and I know that Pastor Marshall did this in the first service, I want to thank everybody that got, in, got involved with Parachute last weekend. 
Marie and I were there on the Saturday and then on the Sunday. And uh, it was just amazing to me what God is doing through Parachute. And so many churches and so many people involved just to pull off something in a together environment. And then many people that are non-Christian that are enjoying it and being a part of it. But uh, thank you to all the life people. We were blessed by seeing how many life people were doing what God's given them to do and doing it with excellence. And I I think it'd be good for us to just thank everybody that got involved to make that event happen. Many people on the stage, Luke did awesome and others were a part of it. Amen. Well, thank you, team. Thank you for worshiping this morning. Come on. It's good to be alive. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you today. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the fact that this is a fresh and a new season. Even today, you remind us again and again that your mercies are new day by day. And our prayer is that we would capture something of your heart. That again this morning, today I'd be able to communicate truth that is in your spirit for us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're in a new year. Where was that truth located? In God's spirit, apparently. Uh, job of a pastor is to preach the word. I mean, don't mean to get too technical, but just read the pastoral epistles. I mean, you know, you got Paul saying to Timothy, you know, preach the word in season and out of season. You know, for a time is coming when, when people will not endure sound doctrine, but will gather for themselves teachers who will teach to them what their itching ears want to hear. Hmm, sounds some similar to Paul DeJong, but we continue. Here, of course, 2011 is, for me, something that I'm excited about, I'm enthusiastic about, and I'm believing to be a great year. Many people say to me, well, Paul, what do you think this year is going to bring? Well, I know for one, it's going to bring God. And uh, that doesn't always mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't always mean it's going to pan out the way we think it should. But I began a series a couple of weeks ago called Becoming a Dream Carrier. And I'm not sure how you view yourself, but one thing I am convinced of is God sees you as a dream carrier. Don't you think that if God sees me as a dream carrier, there would be actually clear passages that say that God sees me as a dream carrier? Um, hmm. Okay. Some people go, well, you know, it's good to be excited about a new year, and yeah, some good things will happen. But to be honest... The way I feel and what I've been through, I'm not sure I can get too enthusiastic about that. To which I try to respond because I have those feelings at times as well. But I respond with this. If you've been through a tough time, if you process that correctly, it will create for you a foundation where God can move more effectively. And so it... What? What are you talking about? I need to do something to make to build a foundation that will make it possible for God to move more effectively. Uh, sounds like God's pretty powerless. I mean, you know, He's dependent upon me apparently for certain things. Hmm. So it's the tough stuff. It's the challenges that shouldn't destroy our ability to be a dream carrier. But we need to actually begin to lift our expectation to a place where we aren't just kind of dreamers that are nebulous, but we actually are seers. We're vision carriers. Uh, Chapter and verse, please. A seer is somebody that is looking into tomorrow with huge expectation. That's why the psalmist said, God, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light 
to my pathway. In other words, the closer I get to God, the more I see into tomorrow. Even Jesus in a parable. What? <laughs> the closer I get to God, the the more I see into tomorrow. Really, that's how you... Oh man, talk about eisegesis. I mean that. I mean that's just so. Oh man, that's almost comical. It's so bad. There in Luke chapter six, he said, "It's a sad thing if you get blind, because can a blind person lead a blind person? In other words, can the church who has discovered that God loves them, that God is with them, that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly and above? If you can't see that." You're going to lead blind people nowhere. In fact, you'll end up in a ditch, and so will they. And that ability to be the light of the world, as Jesus said, is not just so that we feel good about who we are, but that light must develop in our ability to see. Everything about the enemy is to cloud you in, pressure you into a corner, to cause mist to settle on the horizon so that you begin to think, well, you know, I don't really know what tomorrow might bring. And sure, we don't know everything, but this ability to be a dream carrier has a spirit that's different. It's kind of like, I think the ultimate disillusionment is a Christian that believes in an infinite God, but has lost their hope. Their hope for what? You can lose hope, but maintain belief. In the sense that I I know God's real and God's the creator, and I, I thank God that he forgave my sin, But right now, I'm living hopeless. I have lost the ability to be a dream carrier. You know, I'm using about these kind of thoughts. And uh, in this series, we're going to take as much time as we need, I think, for the penny to drop. Because I think we hear about being a vision carrier or a dream carrier or or having a destiny. But so often, we kind of just allow life to pressure us down into the same old, same old zone. And and that's not it. So I'm, I'm working on the message again. Yesterday, I go over it numbers of times and redefine it, and, and my creative juices kicked in. Did you know I was creative? Now, some of you real creators go, no, you're not creative at all. Well, I used to write poems. I think even Marie and I, when we were going out, I used to send her a poem now and again. He don't bring me flowers. Okay, now at this point, I, I don't even know where he's going because um, you notice what's missing here is... Um, an open Bible, you know, it'd be nice if he would say, please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, or, you know, we're going to be again at chapter 7, and we're going to keep reading all the way through verse 6 of chapter 9, or so. you know, and, and the, there was an entire segment of, you know, the Gospel that he was preaching on, or I mean, I mean, the book of Ephesians, or Galatians, or, you know, um, he's mentioned some verses in passing, I mean, yeah, you know, God's word's a lamp unto our feet. That means the closer we get to God, the the more we can see into tomorrow. Yeah, that's really a tortured um, statement. Do you have any commentators who uh, will back you up on that one? Uh, it, it, was that arrived at through a careful study of the Hebrew there in that passage? Uh, no, so at this point, I mean, he's just kind of winging it, and and now we're going to go. We're going to go down a bunny trail. It's t- now time for gratuitous creativity time as Paul DeJong unveils the fact that he's a creative guy and he's capable of writing rhythmic poetry. Here we go. So I wrote this poem. It took me about three or four minutes to write, but it just sort of flowed. So I thought I might read it this morning just for something different. I mean, not that God's Word 
you would want God's word to, you know, corrupt your sermon or anything. Yeah, sure, go ahead, give us a rhythmic poem. That'd be great. Our lives were born with God intent. Let's all aim high and not relent. The challenge of self is on the rise, so let's dig deep, desire the prize. We were born for so much more. Stand up, walk through that door. Our future now is God involved. Let's live a life that is resolved. Without a dream, we fail to see or reach the heights of God in me. Today is when we get to reach the heights of what? Did he say, never mind, let's reach the heights of God in me? Hmm. To choose or live a life that's bound to lose. I enjoyed it. In fact, come here. Yeah, it's not biblical. I mean, as far as, you know, the, the iambic pentameter and all that kind of stuff, I, yeah, I'm sure it worked. I, I don't know. I'm not much of a poetry critic. I think we could do something better than that. I think we've got to take something like that and really make it work. I think a bit of rap is in order. Well, Come on. Here. Come on. Anybody? Got the feel? 11 o'clock. Yeah. Uh-huh. Come on, baby. This is the time. Not sure what this has to do with the Word of God at all. The job of a pastor, by the way, is to preach the Word in season and out of season. For a time is coming when men will not endure sound doctrine, but will gather for themselves teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear, the Apostle Paul prophesied. Makes you wonder if uh, this was uh, the pastor, or type of pastor that the Apostle Paul was warning was coming in the days ahead. Come on, somebody, you got to get into it. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Our lives were born with God intent. Let's all aim high and not relent. The challenge of self is on the rise, so let's stick deep and get the prize. Uh-huh. My, my, that's true. We were born with so much more. Stand up and walk through that door. Our future now is God involved. Let's live the life. Awful. That was just wow. Uh, that was like an American Idol reject. Do they, do they have New Zealand Idol? I, you know, I, you guys should submit that video, you know, so that he can be rejected by the. Uh, whew, that was horrible. That, and what on earth does this have to? I mean, to do with the Bible? At least Rick Warren, when he twists the scripture, I mean, he tries to create the impression that he's actually teaching from the Bible. This guy on the other, I don't. I'm. We're just. Well, let's randomly pull out a rap song out of thin air and poof, and let's this and magically just sing it to everybody. Wow. Okay. Um. All right. Thank you, team. What's that got to do with the message? I don't know. Nothing. Maybe God's saying futures in rap. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't think God was saying anything through that rap. A couple of weeks ago when we began the series, you know, Jeremiah has been a life kind of embedded verse where... Yeah, that would be Jeremiah 29.11, which is 
seems to be the life verse. Uh, one of the favorite verses of people who take things completely out of context. Go back and read it in context. I've actually discussed this misuse of this verse so much on this program that it's I I don't even feel like going back and doing it again. You look up Jeremiah twenty nine eleven at, at the fightingforthefaith.com website. Yeah, I I've done an entire segment on why this isn't about you. The promise made there isn't for you. Yeah, and not unless of course you are old enough to have survived, you know, the 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 exile of the Jews into Babylon, survived that whole ordeal and then came back, you know, saw Nehemiah and those and Ezra and those guys and you know the rebuilding of the temple and and the walls of Jerusalem and you've survived all the way to this day. There there's this, those that specific promise when you put it back in context ain't about you. It's it does reveal something about the nature of God, but Jesus promised Christians that they would be persecuted. Um yeah, and the other one that, that that guys like this take out of context is that John ten ten. I came to ha- so that, may, that you might have life and have it abundantly. And apparently, that means having a fantastic uh, upper middle class life in a in a Western first world nation. Yeah, you know where you're debt free living, uh, three weeks of vacation and holiday overseas, uh, well behaved children who never ever step out of line or do anything that would embarrass you. Um, you know, we're talking about, you know, pretty much, you know, great relationships, a better than average sex life. You know, that's what that all means. Man. We've got to remind, I was saying to Matt in the car coming back to Central from South, th- these words, every time I read them are alive. And this is what God says. He says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Again, the original is, I know the purpose and the intentions that I plan, calculate, invent, imagine, and count toward you. Yeah, and, and who's the you in that passage? Yeah, it ain't you and me. It's it's the exiles that went to Babylon. You just look it up. Go to 29 and start reading at, uh, at Jeremiah 29. Start reading at verse 1. It's a letter addressed from God to the exiles taken down by the prophet Jeremiah. It's not addressed to you ain't the you in that verse. They are thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And I look at that and I go, God, I so quickly lose the ability to see what is in front and what you want to do through the life that you've entrusted to me and the gifts that you've impregnated my spirit and soul with. And yet, you are calculating. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down there, Tex. I, I don't know of any Bible passages that talk about God impregnating me or any, you know, no. God the Holy Spirit impregnated the Virgin Mary with Jesus. But, yeah, and my soul had, yeah, no, no. You stay away from that impregnating ver- verbiage. You know, it doesn't make me comfortable. The outcome of what could happen if we could understand how you think and how you meditate and and I suppose the challenge is, again, God knows what he thinks, do we? See, to be a dream carrier is to develop the ability to take hold 
of our heart and our heart becomes a rudder to our life and we begin to go, you know, I'm, I'm not just existing and I, I'm not going to spend the rest of my life just fixing up what was being, but I'm a dream carrier of, of, of God-sized proportion and, and therefore I want this year not just to be another New Year's resolution. No, I was born for so much more and, and I'm going to begin to ask God to cause me to understand. Yeah, I, I was born for so much more. Um... You know what's funny? Uh, if you were to ask somebody in the ancient church, what can you tell me what the Christian faith is? Um, they they would talk about something called the regula fide or the uh, the rule of faith, and then they would immediately launch into something that sounds suspiciously like the Nicene Creed. And you know what? What? How would you summarize Christianity? What does the Christian faith teach? All right. Well, uh, I believe. In one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible, and one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father uh, Almighty. From thence he will come to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Yeah, they you if you were to you know be able to go back in time and talk to the Christians and say, tell me what the Christian faith is, that's what they'd, they'd end up doing telling you something very, very similar to that. And after Nicaea, that's exactly how they would put it. Yeah, you'll notice that, um, that it begins with, I believe, and then goes on to explain all the things that God did. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All the things that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit does, has done, and is doing on our behalf talks about the forgiveness of sins and Christ who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the you see when you read the scriptures that you know Jesus makes it clear that um well the scriptures are about him and and, and you know yeah but uh, everything that Paul de Jong here is talking about is about you is about me yeah see I'm I'm the problem um, I, yeah, I, I need help. I, I, like, I need, I need so much help that, um, I'm not even capable of contributing to my salvation at all. I'm so mired in my sinfulness and wretchedness that, uh, I need a savior. I, you know, all this other stuff that DeJong is talking about doesn't even remotely sound like what Christians have believed, taught, and confessed from the ancient and earliest of times. Yeah, by the way, one of the things I'm gonna—I hope to be able to do sh- uh, shortly—I want to read a segment from the uh, the Church Fathers, uh, uh, you know, regarding. Uh, well, actually, it's an article written about uh, how the early church, how the the church in the fourth, fifth century dealt with uh, Pelagius. 
fascinating stuff. When you read how Pelagius did what he did, you you would I I kid you not. I I could read a section of this article written over a hundred and something years ago. Um, that you would think that Pelagius was Rob Bell. You would think Pelagius was Brian McLaren based upon the tactics that he used to uh, to smuggle in his heresy. And you know, and then when you read how Augustine, you know, finally who you know when he got a copy of of uh, Pelagius's works, and uh, you know he anticipated some of his arguments because he knew what some of them were because they were floating around in the air in the discussion. And then when he finally got a hold of his uh, Pelagius works, he you know he modified what he had written. And, and but Augustine sets out to put Pelagius the Pelagian heresy down. And he uses the rule of faith, the creeds, to do it. He that's his outline for his argument against Pelagius. And when you read Irenaeus against the Valentinian Gnostic heresy, I mean, he does the same thing. He puts the whole thing down following the outline of a creedal formula that even by Irenaeus's time, it's second century, early, well, he's probably about 180. So uh, late, the, the latter part of the uh, second century, Irenaeus, he's putting down the Valentinian heresy using an outline uh, that uh, you could you put this thing together. It reads very similar to uh, the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. So if you were to ask the Christian you know, people back in ancient times, what is the Christian faith? They'd take you to these ancient creeds that tell us all about what God has done for us. And you go, well, that's it? That's, that's all? Yeah. Because that's what our real problem is. God actually took care of our real problem. Your problem isn't that you don't have a dream. Your problem is, is that you were born dead in trespasses and sins. That Adam's sin was imputed to you as if you're the one who committed it. You, the, and you are, you, you are born by nature a, an object of God's wrath. And that God, God is going to someday judge you. Christ is going to return in glory to judge the living and the dead. And you're going to have to stand before God. And, and that, that things ain't going to go well for you because uh, you're going to be held accountable for your sins. Yeah, your big problem isn't that you well that you don't have a dream or anything like that. Your big problem is is that um, um, by nature you have a very hostile relationship to God, and uh, you're the one who's who stands condemned before Him. See, the Christian the Christian faith teaches us what God has done for us because God has taken care of our real problem. Yeah, it isn't a problem if you live your life without a dream. Because even Jesus says, you know, the the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write to slaves, slaves, obey your masters. You could be a Christian and be a slave. You could be a Christian and suffer persecution and want. In fact, for many Christians, that's the, that's, that's the story of their lives. What this guy's teaching, I don't even know where it's coming from. Sounds like it's burbled up from within inside of him, but it's not really clearly taught in the scriptures, and it has nothing to do with the faith that the Christian church has been confessing from the beginning. Hmm. Understand what it is to break through into that, because then the next verse, which we often go go to, verse twelve, 
Then God says, you're going to call to, you get a revelation of how I think. You're going to call to me and you're going to pray to me. Something's going to shift in your spirit. You won't have to be activated by others to get committed to a relationship. You're going to realize this relationship is all good. It's all full. It's all amazing. And I'm going to listen to you and you will seek me and you're going to find me and you're going to listen to this. Search for me with your whole heart. In other words, the ability to understand how I think about your future, how I think about what's in front of you is going to release in you the ability to connect with me and reach into something you've never reached before. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, the thing is, when you understand really how God sees you, he doesn't see the attachments before he sees you. He doesn't see all of the areas that need to be fixed up before he sees you. He sees you, and this is his plan for you, and because of that plan, he's able to do everything that he needs to do to take to task the things that are robbing us. And so then when we understand that, we be- Yeah, I don't know what this guy's babbling on about. Uh, let me read to you a section from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I mean, since he's not really going to take the, uh, to, you know, the time and care of actually trying to create the appearance that he's teaching something that's really biblical, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I thought I'd just, you know, preach a counter um, sermon right in the middle of his, you know, why not? I could do it. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, he says to the church at Corinth, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, um, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. And by the way, that's not a compliment. He's, he's, this is a chastisement that people have come and they're preaching a different Jesus than the one, the, the one he preached and the Corinthian church is putting up with it. Paul continues, he says, Indeed, I consider that I am, not in, I am not in the least inferior to those super apostles, those the ones preaching the other Jesus. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and uh, and was in need, I, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained, and and I will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, uh, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? Well, God knows that I do. And what I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles. They are deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is. No surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. I repeat, let no one think me foolish. But even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. For what I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not with the Lord's authority, but as as a fool. 
Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. Uh, For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? Well, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? Well, so am I. Are they servants of Christ? Well, I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night. I was in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of the of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? So if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Artis was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall, and I escaped his hands. Wow, it doesn't it doesn't sound like the Apostle Paul. And, and he was an apostle. I mean, if anyone's life should have exemplified, you know, somebody who had a, you know who was a dream carrier you know big visions and and you know and the, and god knew the plans that he had for paul and that they were plans to prosper him and you know like yeah it sounds like you know he was beaten he was shipwrecked and stoned and um constantly in danger he was hungry and thirsty and hmm the Apostle Paul doesn't sound like he believes the same thing that Paul DeJong does. Because Paul DeJong's sermon can't preach to somebody who's living in the circumstances that the Apostle Paul lived under. Not at all. Yeah, DeJong is basically preaching personal glory. Paul is preaching a gospel for those who are going to die and who are guilty of trespassing against God's law and stand guilty before a holy and just God, and whose only hope is Christ and him crucified for their sins. Hmm. Yeah, Paul DeJong's uh, theology, makes can't, I, it, there's no way it can make sense of this, the last part of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's continue. We begin to call out to God. It's like, instead of running from God, we go, here I am, God. There's a renewed expectation. There's, there's a, I'm going to come and seek you out, God. I'm going to find you. I'm going to go deeper in my dependency. I'm not going to feel like I have to live there and be on my own. No, I'm just going to go, thank you, God, because you did this before I did anything. You're the one that is in charge. And not only that, I'm going to come to a place of a full heart response. Did you get that? You'll search with, for me with all your heart. Let's be real for a minute. Whether we're here in the service, whether we're watching this on television, 
When was the last time you could expose all of your heart? Not some of it. Not the stuff that... Yeah, I, I don't think you want to be around if I ever did that. It, it would be pretty dark and... Yeah, because when I look into my heart, um, yeah, sin and spiders. Yeah, that's what I see. That you know your wife or husband could actually be able to accommodate. When was the last time you actually even went to God first and foremostly and said, here it is, lock, stock, and barrel? The enemy just couldn't do that. You know, that, that would cause God to step away from you. No, no, no. God says a dream carrier has some understandings. The understanding is the dream that his God, her God has for them. And so that- where does the Bible say that dream carry, that God talks about dream carriers having understanding? I don't recall any of the major dream carrier passages in the Bible. So they can come to a place where they can expose their whole heart. When you expose your whole heart, the enemy has no terrain to take you captive of, and you go to a depth of relationship. And even in relationships, we've got to get to a point where we can expose our whole heart. Why we can't do that is we don't understand the way God sees us and the dream he carries for us. Huge. So we've looked at what we need to discover about dreams, and I'm not going to go there, but I want to pick up today in Genesis chapter 37, and it speaks to us of Joseph, this young 17-year-old that gets a dream. The Bible says in verse 5, Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers. They hated him even more. Suggests there wasn't a good relationship prior to this point. And I wonder if it was because he was one of those people that thought outside the box. Well, the text doesn't mention anything about Joseph being a big outside-of-the-box thinker. It's an amazing thing if you become a dream carrier, which is a God-connected life. There's going to be a lot of people that don't like you. I grew up quite naively, young person with some pretty big dreams in God, and I was amazed how many people would attack the dream. Here in New Zealand, we have a thing called the tall poppy syndrome. If somebody gets up with a sense of a dream and purpose, it's like, People are quick to shoot it down. The media wants to take it out. Why? So that we can excuse the non-performance in our own lives. But God is... Could you imagine preaching this to somebody dying of cancer? I mean, how, not just anybody. What? Could you imagine preaching this sermon to an eight-year-old child who's dying of cancer and you're there at the children's hospital? Yeah, just, you know, wondering, you know. There's a big God, and God is looking at you and says, I know what this year. I'm calculating. I'm counting on... Every time you respond, what that could turn into and what that could be. And so he dreamed this dream and they hated him for it. And he said to them, hey guys, hear this dream that I've dreamed. There we were binding sheaves in the field, bringing the grain together. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And indeed your sheaves stood stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, shall you indeed reign over us or shall you indeed have dominion over us? He he wasn't suggesting anything like that. He was telling the dream. It's amazing how when somebody has a dream, those that have no dream are quick to judge what they think that's all about. By the way, it is true if you're smart and God gives you a dream about others bowing down to you, particularly if they're your brothers or close to you, you might hang on to that dream a little bit. He actually went on. He dreamed another dream, verse 9, and he told it to his brothers. Look, I've dreamed another dream. This time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. 
And he told it to his father and his brothers and his father rebuked him. Joseph, he said to him, what is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall your mother and I, your brothers come, bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him. That's interesting. Envied him. But his father kept the matter in his heart. There was something in his dad's heart that get it. There's more to this. There's more to this. You know, I really believe that when we engage in a God-committed life, God takes us on a journey of discovery where his ultimate is that we carry his heart. Therefore, the dreams that he has. He's a creative God. We live so limited. I, I think we are seeing great things happen in the church, but we are so limited to what God really wants to do. I, w- I was blessed again being... Really, if God really wants to do something, then how could we possibly get in the way of him doing it? You know, is he God or not? Being a parachute this year, and we make it a habit if we're in New Zealand to be there for some of it, because it's a God-breathed idea. To see the Prime Minister on the stage on Sunday morning, thousands, tens of thousands of people there and being interviewed, and afterwards, as the ones that were with him talked to him, said, what did you think? He says, I I never knew anything like this existed. What did you think? He says, it's remarkable. He said, not only the size of everything, he says, the spirit that's here. And so he was, I think, asked, well, what do you think about the church in New Zealand? His comment was, well, the stuff of which I've seen, I'm a little bit fearful of it, or not fearful, but it's like it's weird, some of the stuff that I've seen in the media. But to see this, he says, it's a totally different slant. He says, I'll be back again, which is a politician's response, I would think, but 25,000 people. But he was visibly moved by it, and good on him for being there. But, you know, I've looked at that, and I, I've thought again, as it's reminded me, is somebody... And then a group of people have had to carry a dream that seemed impossible for a long time to bring to pass something that is having national influence. I love the gold medal swimmer that wrote, his name is Jeffrey Cabrino. He said, the real contest, I suppose, in life is between what we've done and what we're capable of doing. I think we could take that into the biblical context and say the real contest is between the way we've thought and the way we should be thinking. The real contest is the way we see ourselves and the way we should be seeing ourselves in God. You mean we should see ourselves as sinners in need of a Savior, right? Is that what you mean? Because Jesus told the disciples to go and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. And then the Apostle Paul in Romans 2 and 3 talks about how there's none righteous, no, not one, all have, you know, no one seeks after God, they've all together become worthless. You know, that, that, those kind of passages, you know, I, so yeah, we need to see ourselves as sinners in need of a Savior, right? The real contest is not just to go, well, hey, it's been cool and we're over the line. No, we're here, we're, we're here. No, we've got to start soldiering on, being people that are going, you know, it's great to see what God has done. But we're not limiting in the lie or becoming limited in the lie of survival. We're not going to 
actually settle down and remove the risk. We, we, we were born for so much more. There has to be this fact that the world is saying, is there something else to see? And, and, and the world is saying, is there someone who can shine? And God says, but you are the light of the world and you've got to be a dream carrier. So where you go to work. And- if, we're light, if we're the lights of the world, um, I think it's a better said that Jesus is, but we shine the light of Jesus into the darkness. We proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. It's not that people look at our lives and go, oh, wow, look, they're such dream carriers. And where you eat and where you study and where you live and where you walk and where you drive, there's something about you that goes, you know what? Oh, the best, not just cliche, is yet to come. There's something inside of us that, well, you know, things are really on the downturn. Yeah, but can you think what's happening? You know, well, isn't it a tragedy? And it is a tragedy what's happened in Queensland. But can you think about what's happened amongst the people as camaraderie has got together? And we realize it's not all just about our possessions. It's actually about the spirit of togetherness. Have you seen? what's happened to the church in New Zealand. Yeah, we have, and it hasn't been always that good, but have you seen what can be and what is on the boil right now? There's something within us that has the power of God within and on it, and we've got to start saying, God, I've got to learn to be a dream carrier. I've got to learn that dreams are not just this kind of cool phrase, and it's not like I'm just a dreamer out there. No, I'm a seer. I'm on passion. I'm on purpose. I've got a vision within my heart. And what text again are you reading from, sir? go, yeah, but you're that type of person. No. By God's grace, I've developed that kind of spirit. Oh, God's grace helped you do that. Be so self-centered. Okay. So we need to understand. I want to share about one of the things, and we'll go on and touch on others, that destroy the dreams we have. See, most of us have had a time, if we've walked with God for a while, we've had a God moment. An inkling, something has come into our spirit that has been breathed of God. and It was in its infancy, but it was breathed of God. In dreams, the enemy wants to shut down. He wants to stop us. Survival's okay, but not the ability to see into something fresh. And I think one of the biggest things in my world that has tried to destroy the dreams of God is what I call the unexpected challenge of time. Kind of like, well, God, you give the dream. You've given me something, and so it's going to happen, and it's going to happen immediately. My first challenge was that. I was 13 on a push bike riding to school on a winter morning, and my friends were talking about what they wanted to do with their lives. And for the first time, I felt the Holy Spirit say, you're going to serve me in my house. That was 13, and it was clear. I didn't have it all worked out. There were no guarantees, but that's what I felt. So when I left school, I didn't even think about doing a career because I thought, that's what God's got. It's got to happen. It's got to happen now. I'm 16. Well, I didn't go to Bible college till I was 20, and I had three or four years in that gap where I could have done a number of things, being prepared for where God was going to take me. But, and I would have liked to be a builder. I, I enjoy working with my hands, but I couldn't do that kind of apprenticeship. Why? Because I'm called by God to do that. And there's been many things that God's dropped into my spirit, some of which even as a young man, I am yet to see. And I just, I never learned the lesson that God gives a dream, but destinies have a pathway. That God actually is beyond time. Here's Joseph. He's 17. He gets a dream. It takes 13 years before even what the dream is all about is shown. And it's at a time where, of course, the Israelites and the nation had gone through a famine. And, and at the end of the story, what happens is God brings his brothers 
to him. He's now second in charge under Pharaoh, and he is the one that gives them the grain to survive. And it's like they bowed down before him. It wasn't about his agenda. It was about what God was going to do. But have you ever imagined what it was like? So he says, hey, guys, you know, i got this dream. And they say, that's it. Let's kill him. The oldest brother, I think it's Reuben, talks him out. And so they decided they'll throw him into a pit and on, sell him to the Midianite slave train. And they get his colored cloak and they put it in the goat's blood and they give it back to the father and said he died in the field. But he didn't die and he's on the slave train. Well, here's this, God's been speaking to me and, and I've been doing what I know to do and, and I've had a sense of favor. Now I'm nothing, I'm on the slave train. God's still with him. He stays faithful. He doesn't explode. He doesn't run away. He doesn't understand, but he doesn't run away. And there he gets to Potiphar's house. And he gains, just because of the nature of who he is, respect. But Potiphar's wife takes an eye to him and tries to seduce him, daily tries to seduce him. And one day, as he's walking by, she grabs his cloak and rips it off him. And she says, come on. And he says, no, I'm not giving way to that. By the way, I think the fact is you deal better with temptation when you have a view of the future than living in the now. And if you don't have something to reach I think, I think. you have any verses that back that up, please? Reach with you will be dominated by what is now. And so because he doesn't respond, she goes to her husband, Potiphar, and said, look, here he is, Joseph's trying to seduce me, and he's thrown into prison. Well, where's God there? And then in prison, when God is not there, the butler and the baker have a problem. They have dreams that can't be explained. Well, he doesn't shut down and go, well, what's the heck? Come on, how many people have walked away from the plan of God? Why? Because they found themselves in the pit. Because they found themselves in a slave. Now they find themselves in prison. And where the heck is God? He interprets their dreams. The butler gets out. And now he's with Pharaoh. Pharaoh has a dream. Nobody can interpret him. The butler says, I know somebody. He's in the prison. The Pharaoh brings him out and he interprets the dream. Now he gets to second in the empire. And at that point, the dream is fulfilled. He didn't give up. By the way, I don't have time to do this on this edition of Fighting for the Faith, so I'm going to point you to the archives. If you go to the September 22nd, 2010, September 22nd of 2010 episode of Fighting for the Faith, it's named Taking Joseph Away from the Purpose-Driven Dreamers. Um... It yeah you you go back go and listen to that if you haven't already heard it taking Joseph away from the purpose driven dreamers September twenty second of twenty ten worth the listen and it'll demonstrate that this guy isn't preaching about Joseph properly at all because Joseph points us to Christ and Paul DeJong he's not pointing us to Christ he's pointing us to our own dreams and visions, and we can be a dream carrier and whatever. 13 years, he didn't give up, and God uses him to bring the purpose of God. It's so true that, you know, this, the fact of the unexpected of cha- of t- challenge of time takes us out. Pastor Marsh, a couple of weeks ago, says about the virgins, and I love the thought that five of the virgins, when the bridegroom came, had no oil. Why? Because the bridegroom delayed. No, because they didn't have faith. Read the, the, the story of the ten virgins in context. It's very clear. 
what's being referred to there. This is a parable of judgment. They did not have saving faith. They died without faith. As a result of that, they didn't go into the kingdom. He took time. And if you're here and you're going, yeah, but, you know, I felt God say that to me. And I felt God give me that. And it's in the word. And I'm holding on to that promise. And time has not yet produced the outcome. Can I encourage you? Don't allow the challenge of time to cause you to let go of the dream that you have. It's going to suck energy out of you. But God is not bound to time. And if we preach a gospel that dreams are guaranteed of results in our time frame, we're missing it. I think it's T.D. Jakes that says, your prayers look very different to God's answers. Uh, T.D. Jakes, that's a problem. Yeah, I shouldn't be quoting him. You have prayers, but the way God responds is understanding your heart and bringing to pass the right thing. And I think the challenge of that is huge. Philip Yancey said these words, profound. No matter how we rationalize, God will sometimes seem unfair from the perspective of a person trapped in time. Time is not going to cause you to be liberated, to be a dream carrier. I look at that and I go, well, God... Time's the number one, and, and to be honest, in the series, we'll go as long as we need to go, because I'm getting to that point in my life where I don't want to just preach a message and get a series through. We've got to have something drop into our hearts. Every man and woman, look at me that are here, everybody that's listening to this message, if you love God, God has destined you to live a life carrying a part of who he is. Again, preach this sermon to an eight-year-old child dying of cancer. They'll be dead in a week. Preach this sermon to them. And when you find that place, yeah, there are challenges. Yeah, time is an enemy. Yeah, there's a whole lot of things. But you come to a place where you will finish your life with a sense of God's purpose. So how do we deal with this thing called the challenge of time? I think the first thing we need to do is we need to understand that we're not the builder. I think, I think, I think. Why isn't the Bible opened? Understand, you're not the builder. You say, well, what do you mean? I love the way that Jesus encouraged his disciples, Luke 10, 1 to 2. After oh, I'm glad we're finally getting back to the Bible. After these things, God appoint, or the Lord appointed 70 disciples and sent them two by two before his face into every city in the place where he was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Here's the thought. He sent them where he was about to go. We unfortunately are so often taught, and excuse my straightness on this, a kind of gospel which is connect with God and God's going to bless everything you do. It's kind of like, oh man, I got some big dreams. To be a dream carrier is more than having a personal dream which you expect God to empower. It's about the ability to realize God's the builder, you're the laborer. That actually God has commissioned you, and we, we get confused with God. We, we get disenchanted with our Christian faith sometimes. What again does this have to do with that passage from the gospel you quoted? I, wow, are we off topic. Because we go, well, I've got all these dreams, and, you know, I, I started a business, and, and I believe God's a blessing. God, God's going to bless my business. Well, God is a blesser. And if building a business is God's agenda for you, He's going to bless you in that. Doesn't mean it won't be challenged, but so much of the time, it's kind of like, we're the builder. Come on, God, fix it up. 
Come on, God. These are the decisions we've made, and you've got to do it when we do. No, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the labor is a few. There's a lot of people think they're the Lord of the harvest. There's a lot of pastors think it's... And this has nothing to do with dream carrying. It's my church. It has to do with going out and proclaiming the kingdom, proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins. There's a lot of people in ministry and it's like, well, if I get the break, if I get the platform, if I get what I want to do, no, 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 no. That those drivers in society have crept into the church well and truly, and it's kind of that's one of the big challenges. It's like, well, I, I'm it, and if it works for me and my things as well, then I'll be really faithful. And God says, no, we're going to see that we are here. He's the harvest builder. He's the builder. We're actually just the laborer. So if we're just the laborer and it's not built, whose problem is it? The laborer does not go to bed at night going, freak out. As long as I've done my job, that's the builder's responsibility. Come on. A couple of weeks ago, and I, I want to go a little deeper in one of the sessions on this, but I said this, we are either called to be a catalyst of a God dream or the carrier of part of it. And what I mean is... Chapter and verse, please again, preach this to an eight-year-old child dying of cancer. It doesn't make any sense. And that is, we don't understand. We all think, oh, we're going to be these great dream achievers in God. So we just set the agenda. God's going to bless us. And then we fall on our faces. Most of us are not called to be the catalyst of a dream. Most of us are called to be carriers of a dream. And where does, where does the Bible clearly teach about dream catalysts, dream carriers, dream destroyers, and all this kind of stuff? I, I don't recall a single passage of Scripture that lays out this theology. This is all something you've read into a bunch of passages that you cannot actually read it out if you read them in context. And some people say, well, that's okay for you. You're the senior pastor. But you don't know the full story. Some of you, 20 years ago when we're in Sydney and God says go to New Zealand, we're going, we don't really feel that's our preferred option. God says, but this is what I want you to do. So obviously we go, yeah, okay, we'll do that. I don't know why, but God chose Marie and I to be the catalyst of something fresh. This place could not work then just with the catalysts doing what they do. It's a whole team of carriers that get behind to see what God has in his heart achieved. So it's not about building life. It's not about senior pastors, Paul and Marie. It's about building the vision that God has. And if you're a catalyst, then that's, and many people within that have catalyst degrees. But as a catalyst, don't you ever think you're the builder? Because if you think you're the builder, you're going to, actually get taken out by time. Let me give you a case in point. A pastor many years ago shared something. If you think, yeah. you're going to be taken out by time. Okay, yeah, i got to watch out for time taking you out. What on earth is he preaching about here? Like I said, at least when Rick Warren twists the Bible, I mean, he at least tries to create the impression that he's actually teaching the Bible. Something from his heart with me. I was very close to him. And I believe it's totally genuine. He says, I really felt like God said he's going to take our church to 10,000. He was not a guy that was up on the numbers and it was all about size and that. He just felt that was God. And I really felt that that was cool and that was what God was going to do. He died, never saw it. I said, well, where's God in that? Well, today that church is in excess of 40,000. He's the builder, you're the laborer. And if you get those things muddled up, which we do from time to time, you're going to get muddled up, and then you're going to lose your priority of moving to where God wants you to do. It's amazing to me how many people at funerals over the years have grabbed me by the arm after a moving funeral. Some of them, I know fairly well, have been fully active with God in past years, but now have been waylaid by their own priorities. 
or unprocessed hurts, which have led them to alternative priorities. And you move because you're confronted with death. You're confronted with eternity, and you're confronted with the shortness of life. And how many have grabbed my arm and said, Paul, if they've known me well, Paul, it's amazing what you do. And I can see through their eyes into their soul, and there's an ache going, I know I'm not doing what I should be doing because I've got waylaid. And I would encourage and challenge that this needs to be a season, this needs to be a year where you've got to realize, don't you be the builder, you be the laborer. You be the person that says, God, what is it that you want me to do? The release of the supernatural takes place when we remove the natural. And there's too much natural. And where does the Bible say that? The release of the supernatural occurs when we whatever with the natural. What, what Bible verse actually teaches that in context? I'd really like to see it. Natural in all of us. And we've got to actually go to God's priority. Come on. Not only that, here's the second thought. What? Where time has dominion over us is then when we fail to focus what I call the fact of eternity. Is eternity is there. I was on my motorbike yesterday going for a ride down the motorway. I had to do something for one of my boys. And uh, I was going fairly fast within the law. But enjoying the noise that the motorbike rode, and I was going down the motorway, and wind was coming at me, and I looked over into the review mirror just to have a look what my face looked like, to which I got quite discouraged because the wind was blowing my cheeks, and they became like sails on the side. And I'm thinking, wow, my skin is far looser than what it was when I was 20. I used to ride bikes when I was 20, I had no problem with that, but now I was actually stopped blocking the wind, causing, it's kind of like, well, this is quite loose up here, it was quite discouraging. How many know at times like that, when you realize you're getting older, eternity becomes far more attractive? And it's kind of like, well, yeah, well, what the rip, you know, I hope they don't rip, but uh, what the heck, you know, eternity's around the corner, and, and can I just say this, time when you're young is not something that you worry about. And yet you've got to realize you are living for the fact of eternity. Rick Godwin said God builds this way. He builds revelationary. Rela- can, can anyone explain to me what supposedly is the practical application of this particular sermon? Not that I'm a big application sermon guy, but I, I mean, after hearing this completely discombobulated, disjointed you know, basically bouncing from one idea that burbled up inside of Paul DeJong's brain to another idea that burbled up inside of Paul DeJong's brain. I have, I, I actually think I would probably know less about the Bible, less about God, less about the scriptures after hearing what, well, this thing that's passing itself off as a sermon is supposedly teaching. I don't think I know more about God. I know less. I feel my brain sucking up and drying up. And generationally. So there are many dreams that you may carry or be a carrier of that will not be fully realized till eternity. Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 9 What profit has the worker from which he labors? I have seen the God given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. I love this. He has made everything beautiful in its time, not your time. It's time. He has also put eternity in our hearts, 
except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. In other words, yes, you need to study the Word and get an understanding of God's heart, but you will never ever be able naturally to work out the seasons and the times and the ways that God moves. And if you get trapped and kind of, well, God gave me the promise, and where the heck is the fruit of that promise, and that's not coming. No, you've got to realize that eternity will expose the heart and the purpose and the direction of God. He's put eternity in your hearts. But what happens is eternity is removed from our hearts when we try to work it all out. And Okay. Where does it say in the scriptures that eternity is removed from our hearts if we try to work it out? Where does it say that? The text that you're citing out of context doesn't say anything even remotely like that. So how is it that you've jumped this chasm and now have landed off in in bizarro world, and and if you try to work out eternity, you'll lose it from your heart? What are you talking about? And we've got to put it back in our hearts. God put it there and say, you know what? If it doesn't happen... So I've got eternity popping out of my heart because I tried to work it out. I go, bloop! Oh, no, i got to get it back. So I go chasing after eternity and you know, because it's bouncing along. And then boing, boing, boing. I grab it. Okay, and then, and then i got to put it back in my heart. What are you talking about? This year, it just doesn't happen in my lifetime. It's okay. I've just got to keep doing what God's called me to do. I'm the laborer. He's the builder. And I'm going to keep focused on eternity. And I'm going to keep on pushing on. And I'm going to keep on standing. Yeah, but I want it now. Well, the trouble is you've been taught a gospel that says, I make my plans. I make my dreams. God empowers it. And he brings it to pass. Because dreams are based on results. No, dreams are based on God's purpose. And God will bring the results. You know, the greatest people in heaven, by the way, the greatest heroes of eternity are people like this. Not those that saw the results here. The Bible says you get your reward here, you've got your reward. Come on. The greatest reward are those that were given something by God, were challenged along the way, didn't see the result, and yet remained faithful. Hey, Thomas, remember this all the time. Blessed is he who doesn't get to see and yet believes. But, oh, man, believes what? Oh, okay, if you have your Bible, <laughs> I'm going to freak out at this point. Um, let me see here. John, John chapter 20. Oh, man. I, uh, I mean, talk about misquoting Bible passages. He's so far out. I mean, this is just ridiculous. I mean, if... You know the reason why he doesn't open up the Bible and, you know, actually read large sections in context? Because his theology would evaporate like a, you know, like a a few drops of water on a desert highway. We go, and then gone. Um, John chapter 20, verse 24. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with with them when Jesus came. This is a post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. Okay, Jesus appeared to the disciples in the upper room, and Thomas wasn't there. Verse 25, so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. 
Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? And put out your hand and place it inside of mine. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, Hakurios mu kaihatheos mu. My Lord and my God, or my the Lord of me and the God of me. He's just confessed Jesus as Lord and God. Jesus said to him, You have believed because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not yet who have not seen and yet have believed. Believed what? Believe that Jesus is Lord and God raised again from the dead. This isn't just some belief in some dream that God's put into your heart. John 20 is about believing in Jesus as Lord and God the same way Thomas did. Now watch what what Paul DeJong does here. I'm going to back this up because it's just, this is reprehensible. It's so bad. Here we go. Hey, Thomas, remember this all the time. Blessed is he who doesn't get to see and yet believes. Yet believes what? Believes that Jesus is Lord and God. Oh, what a change that would be. See, the devil's dampening the vision, the dream that God's got you to carry because you haven't seen the result. God said, put the result in eternity. Let me be the builder. Oh, man. Oh, this is horrible. You place it in eternity. And you see what I can do through that. And finally, we need to fuel the spirit of expectation. And really, and where does the Bible teach this important doctrine of fueling the expectation of whatever? If we're going to be able to deal with time, you've got to stay expectant. That's why I can't stand, you know, you might, and people might like really conservative, quiet churches. And I, I don't mind quietness. But how many know you can be in dead quietness full of expectation? Or you can be in quietness that's dead. You can be in noise that's void of expectation. It's noise for noise's sake or it's hype. But there has to be the ability to fuel expectation. As I said, the most saddest Christian is someone that believes in a God that can and yet has lost their hope. And I, for one, have had to learn to fuel my expectation. You know, uh, I, I love Apple products um, if you can get them, they're great. I mean, other products are great too, but just their technology, I, I'm speaking today off an iPad. It's an interesting thing that with some of the Apple products, if you go to charge it with another charger that's not Apple, even though it fits the product, it won't charge because they've designed some of them so they can only be charged by Apple products. And when you lose the power in your iPad or computer, and you have a charger that connects but doesn't charge, you're powerless to use the ability of that device. The moment you plug it in, if it's completely dead, the first thing that happens is pops up on the screen an Apple sign. That Apple sign tells you you're connected, something's happening, and you're about to have potential back again. You're not fully formed, but you're functional. The battery will now begin to charge, and you'll be able to use it in a moment full. I think when we come to God, you know, it's a bit like petrol. Petrol can be in a reservoir that's attached to a machine, whether it's a hedge trimmer or a 
an outboard motor, and if you don't use that for a year, the engine's completely fine, but the petrol's lost its potency. So you think the engine's not working, there's something wrong. It's just the fuel that's got old. We need to learn as people, if we're going to be dream carriers, to not let time rob us. The only way time doesn't rob us is that we don't connect into the result before we connect into the supplier. That we don't connect into what's happening to other people before we connect to the supplier. That we don't actually compare or do things that would take us away, but actually we come to a place where we plug into the appropriate power supply. And then we'll see. You see, when you become a Christian, there'll be people today, you're away from God, you're, you're not walking with God. God loves you intently. And you might feel, hey, I, I got nothing. I once walked with God, but man, I've so done the wrong thing. This, it's not just nothing. I'm negative something. You know what God says? The answer to a relationship with me is you plug into me. No, the answer is Christ and him crucified for our sins and raised again on the third day for our justification, repentance, and the forgiveness of sins. Hmm. I haven't heard anything about that. Have you heard anything about that? Yeah, no, I haven't either. And the moment you plug into me, straight away you'll see Jesus. You don't see all the things you have to do. You see Jesus. And that picture tells you you're about to become fully functional, yet not fully formed. There'll be a process that will bring you on, but you need to plug into me. And I. So when you see the face of Jesus, that's like the Apple logo when your iPad is powering up. Oh, brother. Serious? I, I have it in my heart. You're away from God this morning. If you've never had a relationship with God, I'm going to give you an opportunity, as we do here at Life every Sunday, to plug into God. It's not about getting religious. It's about having a relationship with a God that loves you and puts his stamp on you. But for the church, it's kind of like this year cannot be a year. I, I, I plead with you where you just exist as a Christian, where you work, where you live, what you do. And the life that's been entrusted to you has been entrusted to you as a dream carrier. Proverbs thirteen twelve says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when desire comes, there is a tree of life. Did you get that? Hope deferred. If you're in a place where you go, yeah, well, I've had dreams and I've had expectations on God, they make the heart sick. The word sick means they make the heart sore or weak. And so that heart, God understands. But when desire comes, it's a tree of life. It's interesting, the word desire, because it's not like when the result comes, when the desire comes. The desire has to be there. We've got to have this expectation that we feel and don't let go. In fact, I, I don't even think this sermon has an outline. I This is just random thoughts just thrown in here. All of these statements he's just making up about God, and he's throwing out verses to make it look like this is what the Bible teaches. This is like Bill Johnson in the X-Files segments that we do here. Good night. In fact, the next verse, which we don't go on too often, says, He who despises the word will be destroyed, but he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. In other words, when you allow what's not happening to take the domination of your view to the future, when you allow the other things to be pre uh, predominant over the fact of God's word, God said he'll work everything together for good. You've got to come back and say, okay, God, I'm standing on that. Paul said, or the writer of Hebrews says, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. You've got to actually Our confidence is in Christ. It's in Jesus and what he's done. You know, he died and rose again from the dead, victorious from the grave. 
Hello? Actually stand there and say no. Right? Somebody authored this and I've sort of rearranged yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, we don't have confidence in confidence. That's silly. That's like saying I have faith in faith. I have confidence in Christ. I have hope in him. I have hope in the promises that he said that are going to take place, that are going to be fulfilled in him, in that he's going to return in glory to judge the living and the dead. Arranged a little bit, but this is what they said. We can't kill time without enduring eternity. (laughs) You (laughs) You can't kill time without injuring eternity. No, that is not. No, no, no. That is not. What is he talking about? In other words, you can't actually waste today and not have an impact on eternity. We've got to be people that say, okay, this year, you might say, well, how, what do I do next? Listen, we're going to have to go step by step, but don't you let time take your dream. Yeah. Don't let time destroy. Yeah, I don't even know what God you're talking about. in you. Let's pray. No. <sighs> that was the most discombobulated, I mean, r- random series of st- off-the-cuff statements that made no biblical sense whatsoever. You can't read the Bible from cover to cover and come up with this theology. It's impossible. Yeah, I, I'm serious. You just can't do it because this isn't what the Bible teaches when you read it in context. Not only that, this doesn't preach to somebody who's dying. This doesn't preach to our real problem and our real need. Our real problem is, is that we're born dead in trespasses and sins and at war with God and subject to the wrath of God. This is the reason why even small children die. It's because of sin. And the solution isn't that you need to be a dream carrier and to make sure that you take the proper steps to make sure that time doesn't uh, destroy eternity or make it go bloop, you know, right out of your heart. So you have to go chasing it down the street and then, and then put it back in your heart. Like, well, any of that made any sense. No, no, no. The biblical message is simple. Paul says, What I delivered to you as of first importance, I also passed on that Christ Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, and that he was buried and raised again on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and he was an eyewitness to Jesus' resurrection because Jesus appeared to him. You go, that's all you got? What do you mean that's all I got? That is the best news ever that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself that the chastisement that brought us peace with God was upon him that our real problem was really solved by Jesus Christ who was none other than God in human flesh this is again I go back to the the, the historical point and it's It's not just some kind of trivial pursuit type of knowledge. This is something that needs to sink into your thinking. If you go back in time, you read the patristics, you read the early church fathers, they are constantly summarizing the faith in the same types of words and language that we hear in the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty maker of heaven and earth, 
and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate of the Holy Ghost, of the Virgin Mary, and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and he was buried, and the third day he rose again. According to the scriptures, he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father, the Almighty. From thence he will come to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and is glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. The Christian faith from the beginning has confessed the mighty wonders and deeds of God who has acted so powerfully on our behalf and is calling all sinners in all nations to repent and be forgiven through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and to confess along with the ancient church that incredible faith that has been once for all delivered to the saints, the good news of the promised Messiah, the one who was promised all the way back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, who was given for us for our sins. This is the mystery of godliness. This was God's plan for us. This was his dream. And it's been fulfilled already in Christ who rose again bodily from the grave. And so we now who have not seen him, are blessed because, like Thomas, we confess Jesus is hakuriosmu kai hatheosmu, my Lord and my God. Crucified, died, buried, risen for our sins and for our justification. What we heard Paul de Jong preach, that's not the, that's not the message of the Bible. And it's not the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. It's a foreign counterfeit imposter that takes our eyes off of our crucified and risen Savior and puts them back on ourselves and so we can chase after the wind. Chase our tail like a silly dog. And that's not what Christ has called us to do or to proclaim. Pray for the folks who are enslaved to darkness and bondage and deception at Life Church in Auckland, New Zealand. Need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com, and when you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew, and when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute on a monthly basis to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. 
And of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you can specify the amount by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you would like to email me regarding anything that you would like to comment on on either this edition of Fighting for the Faith or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and the mercy won by Jesus Christ in his vicarious death on the cross for your sins all through his blood. Amen. Amen.